Good morning. We're going to read scripture today. If you wouldn't mind uh, standing up while we read the scripture. Esther 4, 12 through 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in, this, in the king's palace you will escape more than any of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at a time, at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you in your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to go and reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold, fast on my, hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, a night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Amen. Do you believe what God says of you? Amen. So before I get started, let's just bow our heads and welcome the presence of God that is so obviously in this, in this place. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we thank you, Lord, for the promises in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, to hear your word, to bask in your presence, to be encouraged by the presence of, of the Holy Spirit, and to be able to open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us. We lay this all before you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. A few weeks ago, we began a series called Champions, Role Models, and Oh, good. Somebody got it. Flawed Heroes. That's right. Um, I have really enjoyed this series. It's just been delightful to, to see how we can glean and learn from characters in the Bible and how they live their lives and what lessons we can pick up from that. And, you know, I'm sure that we all have people in our lives that we consider to be champions, our champions, and role models for us. Um, the people that come, there, there's three people that pop to my mind immediately. The first is my mom. She is someone who believed I could do things before I could. She is someone who provided me with a wonderful, fun, happy, song-filled childhood. And... Um, Secondly is my mother-in-law, who is sitting right back there, Betty Johnson, and she has always modeled for me how to be a woman of dignity and grace, how to be a spiritual leader, and believe it or not, in 33 years of being in her family, she's never spoken a crossword to me. That's pretty amazing. And then thirdly, she's my mother-in-law, um, and then thirdly, my husband. He can make me laugh more than anyone else. Um, running a close second are my son and Andy Reynolds. And he also has probably had the greatest spiritual impact on my life of any one person. So he is definitely one of my heroes. I'm a little dry, so I'm going to take a sip. Excuse me. Um, today, I have the privilege of sharing the story of one of my biblical heroes. Her Jewish name is Hadassah, 
but she is better known, and you might recognize more her name of Esther. Esther is, um, first of all, if you haven't read the book of Esther, you really need to read it. It's like a novel, and there are lots of twists and turns in the plot, and it is simply fascinating. And along with that fascinating reading is uh, being built up in your spirit, how God intervenes in our lives. So in the story of Esther, there is no mention of God's name, not one time in the book. But throughout the book, you can clearly see the hand of God woven through each chapter. And though he is absent in name, he's present in every scene. And the same is true for us today, whether we realize it or not. Whether we acknowledge or ignore God, he's present in our lives every day. And so you need to ask yourself, how do I operate? Do I operate as one who acknowledges that God's with me, that he's there for me every moment or every, of every day? Or do I operate in that realm of ignoring God and, and just doing things as I wish? As I was growing up, there was... Um, there was a sign, a picture hung by our kitchen table, and it said something that constantly reminded me of God's constant presence. It said, Christ is the head of the house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. And I have to tell you, there were times I was sitting around that table, chatting it up, and I would look up at that sign, and I would get convicted. I would get convicted because I realized my conversation it was not one that was a healthy one, and so it would stop me in my tracks. God is always available. He's always present. He's always aware of what's happening in our lives. Now, before we see what we can glean from Esther's life, let's take a look at the backstory. I've had the privilege of, um, of working with several of the the productions in our church and our school. I love theater. So let's take a moment and set the stage for our lessons from Esther. The time was 5 BC, and the Persian Empire was booming, exploding. It was thriving. It had grown to 127 provinces, stretching from Egypt to India, which was over a 2,000-mile area. And um, Israel at this time was in captivity to the, the Persian Empire. But the people groups who, did not re, who, who didn't resist as Persia was conquering as they were coming in, they were allowed to continue to worship their own gods and practice their own customs. So when the time came for them to be released, if they wanted to return to their homeland, then um, many of them chose to stay because they had started businesses, they had built relationships with people, and it felt like home at that point. They didn't have much to go back to. So in our story today, the king was throwing a huge party. I'm sure my daughter Tina probably had something to do with it because she loves parties. But nobles from all the provinces had come to Susa, which was the king's summer palace for a 180-day feast. That is the longest recorded feast in the Bible. And um, not everybody came for the whole 180 days. It's believed that it was stretched out over that amount of time to allow people to work it into their schedules so they could come and be a part of the celebration. They were celebrating the successes of King Xerxes, also known as King Oswaris. And 
all around them were, was extravagance. There were marble pillars, there were golden goblets and golden vessels on the table for them to use. The couches were made from silver and gold. The, the pavement was mosaic and absolutely splendid. There were amazing sculptures and on and on and on. Now, these luxuries didn't just come from that area where they were. They came from all over the provinces, which isn't that amazing to us today because we have UPS and FedEx. But for that time, that was quite, a, quite something to be admired. Basically, the king was showing off. And it was customary in these times of celebration for the women to gather in a separate place for their celebration. So the women were gathered in one place and the men in the palace, Susa. And after dinner and probably too much wine, the king summoned his queen, Vashti, to come before all the men, all those nobles, who were also drunk, to be observed and admired for her beauty. Now, something you need to note is that the king would have never requested this if he had been sober. It was an insult to her and to her modesty, and also against customs for the queen to be seen in this way by anyone except the king. And to add insult to injury, he sent servants to summon her, which was also a venture from their customs. So how did she respond? She refused to come. He summoned her six more times, but each time she refused to come and be, be put on display as one of his trophies. Initially, this ticked him off. It angered the king. So his advisors, who were fearful that Vashti's actions unchecked, would encourage other women to disobey, they made a suggestion to the king. And it's found in Esther chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, if it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Oswaris. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So they weren't too happy either. So what did the king, king do? He agreed to this. But when he sobered up and he realized what he had done, he became depressed because he truly did love Vashti. So to help him out of his depression and to ensure that he did not turn on them, his advisors suggested gathering the most beautiful women from all the provinces, the most beautiful virgins, and bring them to the king. But before they were seen by the king, they would be taken through a time of preparation for one year. Okay, guys. Do not ever complain about how long it takes us to get ready, because you've <laughs> never had to wait a year. So that's really quite a beautification process. Six months with oils and myrrh, six months with cosmetics and perfume. Then the king would choose from the most beautiful women in the land a new queen. So Xerxes pondered on that, I'm sure for a very brief time, and said, that sounds like a good idea. So here in Esther, we find the one and only, the first and only beauty pageant in the Bible.
This is where Esther comes into the story. She was not an obvious candidate for queen. She was not an obvious candidate for the queen of Persia. She was Jewish. She was an orphan. She was raised by her Jewish cousin, Mordecai. She was exiled from her home in Jerusalem and raised in Persia. And she had no connection with Persian nobility, no voices in her favor. But Esther was described as being beautiful in form and figure, and she found favor with the king's servant, Haggai. In Esther 2.15, it says, When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her in as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw, saw her. Haggai was the overseer of the harem, and he took special care of Esther and assigned her seven attendants to meet her needs. And he also gave her the best accommodations, the very best place to stay in the harem. So as she went before King Xerxes, she was found to be his favorite, and he named her his queen. Now at this same time, there was an evil man named Haman, and he was the king's advisor and one of his closest friends. Haman was second in command under the king. Here's the king, here's Haman, right up there. He was an Amalekite, and something you need to understand is the Amalekites were in deadly opposition with the Jewish people. They did not like each other. He was a man who sought position, power, and honor. And at his request to the king, a decree went out that everyone at the king's gate should bow to him as he passed by. Here's where the problem comes in. He was infuriated when Mordecai, because of his devotion to God, refused to bow over and over again. So Haman had everything he wanted except for one bow. And this produced such anger and restlessness in him, and it just would not stop. So he discovered that Mordecai was Jewish, and he wanted revenge not only on Mordecai, but on all the Jews. So he painted this ugly picture of the Jewish people and asked the king's permission to plot their demise. The king decreed to all the people in the provinces that on a particular date, all Jews should be destroyed. The king had no idea that Esther was Jewish because Mordecai had instructed her to keep that a secret. This decree sent Mordecai into a deep sorrow. He threw on, as was the custom in that day, threw on sackcloth, rubbed ashes on himself, and began, and the, the Bible says, he wept bitterly and loudly in the streets. So Esther heard of this, and she sent proper clothing to him and, and wanted to know what was going on. He refused the clothing, and he sent word back to her by providing her with a copy of the king's decree and begged her to approach the king on behalf of their people. So here's what it says in this part of the story in Esther chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. 
Then Esther spoke to Hattuck and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered him. Isn't this a fascinating story? There are so many things we can learn from this story. The first one I think that we should grab a hold of is God's providence. You know, Mordecai, as evidenced in the scripture I just read, had come to the revelation that God had placed one of the targeted people, Esther, a Jew, at the right place at the right time. God does not raise up his children solely for their own good. It's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves and be lifted up and admired and respected. But many times he lifts his children up for the good of others. He doesn't put them in a place of privilege without giving them a responsibility, a responsibility to advance God's kingdom. God designed all of us with a purpose. Our background doesn't matter. Our place or position doesn't matter. God has made us who we are, and that is enough. He has created each of us just as we are and equipped us to do what he designed us to do. If you're intelligent, if you have favor with people, if you have wealth or position or advantage, it is for one purpose— to use for the spiritual good or eternal welfare of others. We must make the decision to step up to our call, to take the risk that he nudges us to take as he did to Esther. We should never have the attitude, I've got this, it's all right, I've got it, I've got it under control. But, but we should be sure that if he calls us, that God's got this. Esther was an orphan. She was exiled from her country. She was raised by her cousin. She was taken from her only family to be placed in a harem of hundreds of women, all desiring a position to be given to just one. Not the typical backstory of a queen. Nothing about her story was an accident. Nothing about your story is an accident. The way you look, the way you speak, Whatever stories are written on the pages of your life are all a part of God's design. There are no random moments, no coincidences, only opportunities designed by God. Even when evil 
or bad things happen to us, God promises to turn them to good. With the help of Mordecai and his revelation and his faith, Esther realized that she had a purpose. She knew, despite the danger of approaching the king without an invitation, that she might be in this position for such a time as this. And Mordecai had faith that God would rescue the Jews. It's so evident in the message he sent to Esther. Uh, 4.13 says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. What faith? What faith? But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He was telling Esther that if she chose not to step up, that God would use someone else who was willing. God doesn't depend on us to fulfill his work. He allows us the opportunity, and we have to step up and see that, hear his voice, and take that opportunity. We cannot stop God's kingdom. We can only lose our place in it if we don't listen and we don't obey. Esther was aware of her purpose, and she, be she behaved according to her purpose. In so many instances, God uses those once considered the least to do great things. Can you think of other times in the Bible when he's done that? There's so many, so many stories. Lesson two from Esther is, though, God, though Esther rose to prominent, a prominent position, she maintained a teachable spirit. Throughout the book of Esther, you see her seeking counsel from others. First of all, she sought the counsel of the king's servant, Haggai. He was in charge of all the women in the harem, and she could have asked for anything to help her win the favor of the king, yet she asked for nothing at the advice of the servant. No cosmetics, no perfumes, no lavish gowns, just her pure beauty, wisdom, and humble spirit. She did just as the servant had told her and humbly and empty-handed approached the king. Through the entire process, she also listened to Mordecai's instruction. In Esther 2.20, it says, Esther had not made known her kindred or people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. You know, I've heard my husband talk many times about our children are all grown. Our youngest, is, youngest two are 22. And talk about how your role changes as they move into adulthood. When they're children, we are their directors. We tell them what they can do, what they can't do. We set the boundaries for them and hope and pray that they do as we say. But as they move into adulthood, we, we move from being directors to advisors. We are people that they can receive um, advice from or suggestions from, but once we have given them advice, suggestions, um, ideas, we have to rest in that. We can't make them do that. It's their choice whether they take it or leave it. Esther was now an adult, but she ch still chose to trust and take advice from Mordecai. She did not reveal her Jewish heritage. She respected his wisdom and heeded his advice. Even when she was fearful of going before the king, as Mordecai requested, she determined to do what he was saying. 
She was willing to put her fears aside. She was willing to approach the king without an invitation, knowing that her life was in the balance. She had trusted Mordecai's instruction, and she had a teachable spirit. Thirdly, she sought God about the decision she was about to make. She asked Mordecai and his friends to to fast and pray for three days, and she said that she and her servants would do the same. Through fasting and prayer, Esther was seeking God's favor. She was seeking his wisdom. She was asking God for direction. She knew the king's heart was in God's hands. So this is a great side lesson for us today. Did you know that God can move in the hearts of the rulers of this world wherever and whenever he wishes? Do you believe that? Let's look at Proverbs 21.1. It says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That pretty much says it, doesn't it? God is as much work in the Oval Office as he is in the pastor's study. And that's why we pray for our leaders in government. He's not limited to working only in the lives of Christians. Esther knew that she was about to take a risk. She knew she was facing a big decision, and she knew she was in this position for such a time as this. She did not have the attitude, I've got this. You know, look at me, I'm queen. I'm highly regarded. I have power. No, she didn't have the attitude, I've got this. Instead, she sought God for three days, and she gave it to him. We must have a teachable spirit, no matter how young or how old we are. She didn't allow her success to puff her up, and we cannot allow the knowledge and experience and success that we gain in life to move us to the mindset of being the ultimate authority. Instead, we should be lifelong learners. We should let the things that we learn make us aware that there's so much more to still be learned. Always, we need to always remain teachable. We need to learn from our family. We can learn from children. Have you ever learned a lesson from a child? I have. We can learn from our friends. We can even learn from our enemies. We can look for life lessons every day. Consider that you could learn something from everyone. Sometimes it's what to do or how to do things, and sometimes it's like, "Mm -mm, I'm never going to do that. It can be what to do or what not to do. We need to pray for God to give us a teachable spirit, to recognize that there's always more to discover about God and about his awesomeness. We need to ask him to teach us something new every day. There's so much to learn from Esther's story, but we have a limited amount of time today, so we're going to look at just one more lesson from Esther. Esther waited on God and obeyed God. She was a woman of patience. She recognized the responsibility. She knew that she hadn't just become queen because God liked her. She knew that she had a responsibility. With that privilege came responsibility. She knew she was the best advocate for her people. And with this realization, she did not just rush in and tell the king without thinking it through. She didn't just go and get it over with. Are you like that? If there's something that's on your shoulders that you have to do and you don't want to do it, that you just want to do it and get it over with? A lot of us are like that. 
But she prepared her heart by praying and fasting, and she asked those around her to do the same on her behalf. And she waited and listened for God to guide and direct her. In Psalm 130, verse 5, it says this, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I think this is exactly what Esther did. She waited for God, and she found hope in him. So after these three days of fasting and praying, Esther decided to approach the king without invitation. He had not called her for 30 days. So you, you think the enemy was whispering something in her ear at that time? What do you mean you're going without invitation? He hasn't invited you for 30 days. You've probably made him mad. You probably did something or said something that he didn't like. Why in the world would you go without an invitation? I'm sure all that was rolling around in her mind. But when the king saw her standing in the court, he extended the golden scepter. This was a good sign. He welcomed her in and he offered her, not only did he welcome her in, he offered her half of his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but after being so unsure about approaching the king and then receiving the welcome, and an offer for gifts, it seems like that would be the perfect time to spill the beans. I have to tell you, I've been married to Mark for 33 years, and over those 33 years, I have learned when to ask for something. <laughs> and in my mind, this seems like the perfect time. But Esther had sought God, and he gave her a plan, and she patiently followed his leading. She told the king that she had prepared a feast for him. The way to a man's heart is through his? All right, go Esther. A feast for him and Haman and wanted them to enjoy it. So after the feast, the king again asked, what is your wish? I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. Again, this seems like a pretty good time to make your request known. So what did Esther say? Let's look at chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king, to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king said. So she must have had another special dish that she... No, I'm just kidding. So they, she created another feast and waited another night. Now, here's the interesting thing. On this last night of waiting, while, while Esther was waiting on God, God gave Xerxes a restless night and reminded him that Mordecai had once saved his life by revealing an assassination plot. So Mordecai had never been rewarded or recognized for doing so. So guess what? God, in the middle of the night, was preparing the king's heart. Remember those channels of water that God can move wherever he wishes? He was preparing the king's night. What a wonderful example, uh, once again, of God's providence. And after that second feast, under the leading of God, at just the time he directed, Esther revealed that she was a Jew, and she revealed the evil that Haman had plotted against her people. This is such a beautiful picture 
of patience and waiting on God. Even when it seemed like a good time to tell the king, she waited. Now the thought of Esther seeking God and petitioning him for wisdom in her circumstances, then hearing how she approached the king with confidence, boldness, and strength takes me to another scripture in Isaiah. And this might be a favorite scripture of several of you. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Esther found strength in her time with God. He gave her the ability to approach the king confidently. He allowed her to be strong and patient and to see the plan through to the end. Do you know how to wait on God? Do you have patience to allow him to work out the details in your life, in his time, and in his way? Have you discovered, as Esther did, how to wait on God and how to allow his strength to be your strength? Even when the pressures of life feel like they're closing in, God sometimes calls us to wait on him. He calls us to seek his face. He offers us strength and freedom from weariness. Even when our own voice may be screaming, now, do it now, this is the perfect time. God enables us to be strong and patient and to move according to his plan and his timing. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we just ask, God, that you would open our hearts today to what you want to say to us at this time. I pray that your spirit would guide us, that you would move us, and that we would be obedient to your voice in our lives, just as Esther was obedient. Let us hear your voice, Father. Let us move when you tell us to move. Let us speak when you tell us to speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand and continue to have your heads bowed, please? I want to just ask you a few questions today and then give you an opportunity to come and have someone pray with you over what's happening in your life right now. Please just bow your heads as I share these questions with you. What is God saying to you today? Is he calling you to wait on him? Why would we move in our own wisdom and our own strength when God is always available and always present? Is he calling on you to seek him out for something, some decision you are facing in your life? Maybe you're in a difficult relationship. Maybe you're at a crossroad in your life waiting on God to give direction. Is there a change he wants you to make? Do you need guidance as you make decisions for your family? Are you in a situation that you totally do not understand and you need to discover strength from God for that situation? Do you need prayer for strength and for patience? Do you need to listen to the leading of his spirit and be obedient to his decision in your life? Is this a time when God has told you to wait? And do you need someone to pray with you and wait with you. 
maybe God's speaking to you about having a teachable spirit and maybe you're relying on your own knowledge and wisdom rather than leaning on God. Who are the people who can speak into your life? Several should have come to mind immediately. If not, how teachable are you? Asking God for a teachable spirit is opening your life to others and even opening your heart and mind more to God and what he wants to teach you. Pray that you would always be willing to learn more and not have the attitude that you know more than everyone else. Do you need prayer for God to give you a teachable spirit? And finally, God has placed you where you are for a purpose. As you allow it, he will work out his plan and his design for your life. Do you have a charismatic personality? Do you have a musical talent? Do you have money or power? These are not rewards or bonuses from God. You're not better than others or God's favorite. These gifts come with responsibilities. Has God raised you up not just for your own good, but for the good of others? You have a job to do, a divine appointment. God has given you the tools for that job. Has he put you in the place where you work for a reason? Is there someone he wants you to share your faith with? Is there some kindness he wants to show you? He wants you to show someone who is hurting and needs to know the love of God. Has he given you a place of influence for a greater purpose? Are you facing a difficult situation right now? And do you think God may have put you there just as he did with Esther for such a time as this? If any of these things are compelling to you, if any of these things are stirring in your heart and your spirit, you need to come and let us pray with you. As Dan leads us, I want to invite you. Listen to God's voice in your life. Be obedient and move as he leads you. God bless you.